You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries, both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will cover the Lawson family murders. Hello, hello, and welcome back, my lovely little peanut butter cups. <laughs> I don't know why I called you peanut butter cups. I don't even like peanut butter cups, if I'm being honest. I feel like I should have at least called you something that I enjoy. But I mean, if you're peanut butter cups, I guess I'll never eat you. And that's really what you want in a friend, isn't it? Someone who isn't a cannibal. Sorry, guys. If you can tell, I'm a bit slap happy this afternoon, and it's most definitely because I am super tired, and I should really probably take a nap, but my kids are currently in school, and this is the only time that I have to record where they won't be pounding on my door every five minutes asking me to open them a bag of chips. This episode brought to you today by Hashtag Mom Life. Uh, today, we are going to be covering an incredible, tragic case with twists and turns and theories. Seriously, my favorite kind of case to cover. I had heard of this case here and there in my deep dives into the world's most notorious unsolved or cold case, but I really got hooked on this case learning about it on a series on Netflix called 28 Days Haunted. I don't know if you are familiar with this show. Um, just in case you aren't, it is a new-ish show, I would say. It's not new. It's new-ish. Um, I think it came out like within the past year. And it basically, the premise of the show is that they get a bunch of ghost hunters together and they make them stay in a place that they will call home for the next 28 days. Um, and the places that they send them are obviously like known haunted spaces and they have to do their own research in the home to figure out like, why is this a place of significance? And then see if they can commune with the spirits said to still reside there and hopefully get some new information. Um, what is it called? Spoiler alert. It's a fun watch, but they never really see anything. In essence, it's a lot of like, hype, hype, oh my gosh, what was that? And we reviewed the tape later and heard, did you hear that? It clearly said murder. No. No, it did not. Okay? No. Think like, think like ghost adventures or brost adventures as we call it at our house because it's basically a bunch of people running around in the dark with a camera. Will somebody please, for the love of God, take it away from them? Anywho, a pair of mediums are sent to this little building, which looks very charming and quaint, if I'm being honest. And you're like, oh, lucky you got to sent to it like a cute place. This sentiment doesn't last for long because one of the mediums, like she gets unblindfolded and she immediately recognizes it as the home of the Lawson family. Dun, dun, dun. Um, but I'm getting way ahead of myself. Before we discuss anything further, it's dusty in here and we need to do a little housekeeping. First and foremost, if you are currently following me on Instagram, well, aren't you a peach? Thank you for doing that. But if you're not following me already, 
I'm just going to silently wait this out and make you feel extremely uncomfortable until you come to your senses and start following me. (laughs) Just kidding. But seriously, follow me. It's a good time. I post pictures of the cases that we cover. You get little bits and pieces of behind the scenes and you can chat with me and with each other. You can shoot me a DM with a case suggestion. Oh, and by the way, I thought it would be fun to mention here that when I was writing up this very episode, I was literally typing, I got a listener suggestion from someone asking me to cover this case. Great minds think alike, am I right? Anyway, shout out to Paul for being on my same wavelength. That was just so cool. Um, I also have a website. It's www.mysterystillunsolved.com. There you can binge my now 103 episodes. You can shop for merch. I have vinyl stickers and t-shirts. And speaking of t-shirts, you have until March 31st to place a pre-order. And then after that, I'm not going to be placing another order until the end of July. So if you want a t-shirt before midsummer. I would highly suggest getting on over there and pre-ordering a shirt. Last but not least, I have a Patreon, which I will link in the show notes. If you feel so inclined to donate to the podcast, you can do so there. And if you become a patron, you will get one bonus episode every month. I actually just dropped the first bonus episode where I cover the Amityville house. So if you want to listen to that episode... You can donate one, three, or five dollars and you can hear it. Um, you also get other perks, but I'm gonna let you guys read about that for yourself if you're interested, because if I got into it now, I don't know. I just feel like that would be like a lot of talking. And I know that most of you are already like, seriously, Rochelle, can you just get on with it already and tell us about these murders? Okay. Okay, Sados, you win. I will. Okay. Without further ado, let's get into this case like a happy little raccoon in a dumpster. <laughs> It was Christmas Day, 1929, in Germantown, North Carolina, when 42-year-old Charles Lawson, a tobacco farmer and sharecropper, sent his eldest son, 16-year-old Arthur Lawson, on an errand. Arthur had been hunting rabbits in the woods near his home when he ran out of ammunition. Charlie claimed that they were out of bullets and sent Arthur into town to purchase some more, because that's what you do on Christmas Day. You go get bullets and you shoot things. That's what I do. Uh, Soon, Arthur would learn that father had lied to him, and there had been bullets at the house all along. The Lawson family was large, like real, real big. Charlie and his wife, Fanny, had seven kids. Seven kids. I don't know how they did that. I only have two, and I'm seriously exhausted. Uh, There was Marie, 17, Arthur, 16, Carrie, 12, Maybelle, 7, James, 4, Raymond, 2, and Mary Lou, 4 months. I don't know how you keep track of all those people. That's a lot of people. Uh, the Lawson family, what they, they weren't fabu- fabulously wealthy by any means, but they had managed to save up enough money to purchase a home in 1927, and like that's a big deal. About a week before that fateful Christmas Day, Charles had loaded up Fanny and all seven of their children into a car and took them into town. Charles then proceeded to purchase them all brand new clothes and had them sit for a big family photo in a portrait studio. And this was a big deal because, as I mentioned, the Lawson family wasn't particularly wealthy. And it wasn't like today when you can just like snap a quick selfie for free. 
getting a photo session done was major. And for many, they would maybe only experience such a thing like once or twice in their lifetime. So big deal. If you look at the photo, it's a bit off. Um, Typically, you would assume that the mother and father would be center in the photograph, the younger children nearest the parents, and the older kids on the outside. That placement just makes for a better and like more symmetrical photo, right? However, in the photo Charles had commissioned, Marie, the eldest daughter, and Charles are in the center of the photograph. And Fanny is like off to the side, almost with like a shadow across her face, looking like an afterthought. And this is going to come up again in support of one of the many possible theories of why this tragic instance took place. But just keep it in mind moving forward. I will post the photo on my Instagram as well so that you can see it with your own eyes and let me know what you make of it. Part of me thinks it's odd. I mean, it certainly looks odd, but I wonder if it had more to do with like the inexperience of the photographer's part and less to do with anything creepy, but I don't know. Take a look at it and let me know what you think. All right, so now we're going to fast forward to Christmas Day, 1929. And like I said, Marie had woken up early to bake a Christmas cake. 12-year-old Carrie and 7-year-old Maybelle had started down the road. They planned to walk to their aunt and uncle's house, which wasn't too far away, to wish them a Merry Christmas before returning home and like all the Christmas festivities officially beginning. Fanny watched her two daughters from the family's porch until their walk put them behind the family's barn. Once they were out of sight, she turned back inside, most likely to finish up a task or tend to one of her many, many children. (laughs) She's got a lot of kids. But what she didn't know is that when the two girls passed the barn, things were about to go off the rails. Charles had been in the barn, shotgun in hand, and he had been waiting for them. Without hesitation or provocation, he shot both of his daughters before bludgeoning their heads and faces with the butt of his weapon. He dragged their two tiny bodies and hid them inside of the barn. Fanny must have returned to the porch, perhaps to see if she could decipher where these two shots had come from. Had it been her son, Arthur? Had he, was he hunting rabbits again? It might have been at this moment that she saw her husband walking towards their home. And I can only imagine what must have been going through her mind as she saw her husband getting closer and closer, shotgun in hand, with blood all over his clothing. She certainly could not have known the danger she was in, as she was the next to be killed. Next were the two toddler boys, James and Raymond. They were actually drug out of a closet or like a cabinet because they had been hiding, and then they were promptly shot to death by their own father. Then Marie, the eldest daughter, was killed. Charles then walked up the stairs to the home's nursery, where Mary Lou, only four months old at the time, was lying in her crib, and Charles bludgeoned her to death where she lay. Charles then positioned the bodies of his family members in like an almost ritualistic way, placing their heads upon these like makeshift rock pillows and crossing their arms atop their chest before retreating into the woods which surrounded their property. Minutes later, Arthur returned home from the market and discovered this gruesome scene. 
Before too long, neighbors and police were surrounding the Lawson home, everyone trying to make sense of what was happening. Charlie was missing, but had he been taken or was he responsible? No one knew for sure. Suddenly, the people who had gathered heard a lone and single gunshot somewhere in the woods. The police ran towards the sound to discover Charles Lawson dead at the base of the tree after taking his own life. Police noted that in the dirt nearby, it appeared Charles had paced back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, many times before mustering up the courage to kill himself. Found in his pockets were two ominous and perplexing incomplete notes scribbled onto the back of tobacco auctioneer receipts. One read, quote, nobody to blame but, end quote, and the other said, quote, troubles can cause, end quote. Charles, nobody to blame but who? Troubles can cause what? Ugh, I don't think we'll ever know. With this case being so old and so confusing, there have certainly not been a lack of theories to perhaps explain this bizarre and nonsensical familicide against the Lawson family. It makes sense. The human mind always wants to make sense of things, and so we tend to speculate. The human mind cannot get enough wild speculation. Okay, so we're going to talk about some theories. So the first theory is that Charles Lawson, who had in fact suffered a head injury earlier that year, may have killed his family after his injuries altered his brain. Now, this theory may have merit to it as injuries to the brain can cause devastating effects. If you suffer an injury to either one of your temporal lobes, this may lead to you experiencing difficulty communicating or remembering things. If you were to damage your parietal lobe, you may have trouble with any one or multiple of your five primary senses. Maybe you can't smell or taste or hear as well as you did before your head injury. An injury to the cerebellum may affect an individual's balance, movement, or coordination. And if you are a couch potato sleuth like me, you might know that many serial killers, after being caught, admit that they were in the hospital often for head injuries and that there, have been, there was a study um, that scanned the brains of like a bunch of infamous serial killers and it seemed like they had underdeveloped or damaged prefrontal cortexes. And the prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain responsible for decision making and controlling impulses. It's the part of your brain that's not finished developing until you're like 25 years old. A person who has damage to that area may experience blunted emotional responses. They may become aggressive or irritable. Okay, so I was recently watching this thing on YouTube, and it was a little like documentary about King Henry VIII. And apparently, King Henry VIII is a notorious person in history who many wrote that he was like this kind and just man, just like a stellar king. And then after suffering a head injury... Um, he fell off of his horse while hunting. That's kind of when things shifted and he became like really cold and calculating and cruel and distant. So that's pretty interesting. A neighbor of mine, yeah, a neighbor of mine told me 
that she had an adult son. He was 18 at the time. And he was like apparently one of like the nicest people that you would ever meet. But one night he and his friends were riding on the back of a pickup truck. And this pickup truck like suddenly came to a stop and her son like toppled out of it and hit his head on the pavement. And she said that after that he became depressed withdrawn just like angry and irritable like he just seriously was not the same person anymore so for these reasons I feel like this theory is certainly plausible it's possible that Charles brain caused him to get agitated irritable irrational paranoid and he killed his entire family only to later realize what he had done and then maybe filled with regret or possibly fear of what would become of him, he decided to end his life. It should be noted that John Hopkins Hospital performed an autopsy and analysis of Charles' brain and claimed that they found no abnormalities. Another theory is that Charles didn't actually kill his family at all. Like, he wasn't behind it at all. Some believe that Charlie may have been the inadvertent witness to something fraudulent because he'd been like saying like these cryptic things to friends and family and that members of this like organized crime family took the opportunity to silence the Lawsons. Now, this theory certainly could be true. I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But if it were, I just don't see why they would allow Arthur the eldest son to live like maybe they're like oh well he's not here we'll get him later but they never killed him later and why would they kill a four-month-old and a two-year-old and a four-year-old young children who certainly wouldn't have been able to be like any real threat to a nefarious crime organization I guess they could have done it to like send a message but send a message to who you're killing the entire family They didn't leave anything at the scene to indicate who might have done this. So I feel like any message that they may have desired to send was definitely lost in translation. Um, A third theory is that the relationship between Charles and his eldest daughter, Mary, was, I don't know, let's say less than parental. Uh, This theory is only found to be more salacious when you couple it with the odd placement of Marie and Charles in the center of that family photograph. And then there's also a story that was circulating that before her death, Marie had reportedly told a close friend that she believed she was pregnant with her father's child. Furthermore, the friend stated that Marie said, that her father made her promise not to tell a soul, otherwise, quote, there would be some killing done. I don't like that. In a book called White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, published in 1990, um, a relative, Stella Lawson, was interviewed for the book, and Stella said that she had overheard Fanny's sister-in-laws and aunts, including Stella's own mother, who was named Jetty Lawson, discussing how Fanny had confided in them that she had been concerned about a possible incestuous relationship between her husband and daughter. If we believe these rumors are to be true... It means that Fanny knew or at least suspected an inappropriate relationship between Charles and Marie long before the familicide. We know this to be the case because Jetty Lawson, Stella's mother, died in early 1928. 
and the murders were not committed until late 1929. Shortly after the family murders, Charles' brother, Marion Lawson, opened Charlie and Fanny's home on Brook Cove as a tourist attraction. The cake that Marie had been baking was displayed on the tour, and I'm saying not a replica of the cake, the actual cake that she had been baking. However, because it was the 1920s and visitors were weirdos and they stole things, they began stealing raisins off of the cake and they had to put it under glass, like under glass so people would stop messing with it. Uh, This terrible event inspired a number of songs. In fact, there is a song called, it's real subtle, the name of it, The Murder of the Lawson Family, (laughs) which was originally recorded by the Carolina Buddies for Columbia Record in 1930, and then it was covered by the Stanley Brothers in March of 1956. Now, remember earlier when I told you I got into this case after watching 28 Days Haunted? Okay, so it's believed that this house is haunted, and for those reasons, the home is still open to the public today. Why could this house be haunted? Well, there are many reasons. First off, we have talked about this before in previous episodes, that if someone experiences a sudden or gruesome death, the energy of the negative um, event lingers and it's possible that like spirits don't even know that they're dead. So they kind of just linger around and this can cause some very interesting paranormal instances. My opinion, I mean, obviously, you know, it could be possible that they're haunting because they don't know that they're dead or because it was just so gruesome. But I found out through my research that if you visit the Lawson family graves, you will see that the entire family has been laid to rest in the same plot. Yes. Which makes no sense because if we believe that Charles Lawson is responsible for killing his entire family, why did we lay them to rest together? If I were one of Charles' kids or wife, I would be pissed and I would for sure be haunting the crap out of people until they got that douchebag away from me even in death. Like can you imagine a murder victim buried alongside their killer? It's outrageous. It he doesn't deserve to be with his family plots if he's the one that put them there. Seriously. Lastly we will talk about the theories of why Arthur was spared. And seriously I feel so, like, as as terrible as this case is, I feel so bad for Arthur. Like, not only was he just 16 at the time, but he was the one to discover the bodies of his loved ones on Christmas Day. That's, like, supposed to be the, like, the best day of the year, and it was the worst. Can you imagine being the one to learn that your own dad did it? Like, I'm sure that Arthur suffered from like depression, anxiety, survivor's guilt, and that he often wondered, as we all do, why was he spared? Some believe that Arthur was sent away simply because he may have been a threat to Charlie. After Charles' head injury, he was not the strong man that he had once been, and it's possible that he feared that if his teenage son was there, that he would be able to overpower him, especially knowing that Arthur himself had gone hunting with his dad for years and and absolutely would know how to defend himself using a firearm. Others believe that although Charles wished to commit millicide, he may have been torn in what to do with Arthur. 
Because remember, preserving your family line, preserving your family name was so incredibly important. And that this may be why he sent Arthur away. Arthur Lawson did end up marrying later on in his life and he fathered four children with his wife before his own life was prematurely ended in a motor vehicle accident in 1945 at the age of 31. The Lawson family murders deeply, deeply impacted this tiny town in North Carolina. The family lays to rest in the small Browder family cemetery near the intersection of Highway 8 and Brook Cove Road. Uh, who's the Broder family? The Broder family, they had been the landlords to the Lawson family before they purchased their own home. Um, and the Browder family donated one, a couple of their plots because they didn't, they loved Arthur. They felt so much compassion towards Arthur and they didn't want him to like have any sort of financial strain or like have to worry about where to bury all eight of his family members. And that is the horrible account of the Lawson family murders. I'm curious to know what you all make of this. Is there a theory that resonates or makes sense to you? Is there a theory that we didn't cover on the episode that you think it could be? Let me know by commenting on the Instagram post I made for this episode today. I would love to hear your thoughts, theories, opinions, and ideas regarding this case. Oh, yeah. Would you like to know how to better support this podcast? Of course you do. Um, follow me on Instagram at MysterySillUnsolved. Shoot me a DM with a case suggestion. Visit my website, www.MysterySillUnsolved.com. Order a shirt or a sticker and represent it everywhere life takes you. Um, donate to the Patreon. I'll put the link in my show notes. Um, but don't feel limited to the constraints that the term friends and family may entail. Like tell your pastor, the teammates on your community soccer league, your doorman, your busboy, your flight attendant. Better yet, tell the person sitting next to you on your next flight. I promise you one of two things will happen. One, you'll spook them and they won't talk to you. That's a win in my book. Or two, they'll be a secret fellow couch potato sleuth and you'll be in for the best conversation of your life and it will be sure to make time fly. Literally. Thank you all so much for being here today. I'm so grateful to all of you who come back here week after week. You seriously do not know how much it means to me and you guys are just so cool and awesome. I love you guys. Join me next week when together we'll discover, did anyone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved? <laughs>